Welcome to the Unitarian Universalist Fellowship of McMinnville podcast. Founded in 2007, UUFM is a gathering place for people who embrace a free and responsible search for truth and meaning. We are located in the heart of Oregon's Willamette Valley wine country. Please visit us on the web at macuuf.org, M-A-C-U-U-F dot org. And if you are ever in or near the McMinnville area, don't hesitate to stop by and visit us. UUFM gathers in love and service for justice and peace. At this time, it's my privilege to invite our guest speaker, Dr. Sally. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. It's great to be with you here today. I see so many friends and, and new folks, and it's just a delight to be with this congregation. Monica and Trey, I think you've picked a wonderful family to be a part of, and congratulations. We like uh, feral blacksmiths any way we can get them. <laughs> I love those write-ups. That's My husband, Ron, is here with me today. I like to bring him along, and we're going to have him help us with a little music toward the end of my talk. And also, I bring him along because he's been a UU since way back, and so he's my um, uh, authenticity, uh, <laughs> what do you call those, arm something? Um, Yes, sidekicks, that'll do. And we've been to the UU uh, camp at Seabeck, the Elliott Institute, for years and years, and so we love to surround ourselves with UU folks. Well, tomorrow evening, I teach a citizenship class for immigrants who are working on their naturalization process to become citizens of the United States. We've come to chapter seven in our workbook. That's the chapter on Constitution and the Bill of Rights. We get an hour and a half to learn it all. And we'll focus a lot on the First Amendment. Do you remember what the First Amendment includes? That that was a reaction, I guess. First Amendment on the Bill of Rights. Freedom of speech, of the press, assembly, religion. Okay, so we're going to talk about those things. Now, unfortunately, in the last few weeks, our current news provides examples from what, of what can happen when a country does not commit to these freedoms. A Saudi Arabian, Arabian journalist was killed in Turkey by his own people. Dozens of men of the Sikh religion sought asylum in the United States because of religious persecution in India. And then they were incarcerated at the Federal Correctional Institution in Sheridan. We have a federal administration who is working to decrease the amount of physical area where people can protest in Washington, D.C. He's wanting to take away 80% of the area where there can be protesters. But we in the United States are still guaranteed the right of people to peaceably assemble 
and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. So we cannot forget, while we're here this morning, talking about reaching for justice, that we're here because we have these freedoms. Both Unitarianism and Universalism began by rebels who wanted to change the status quo, were allowed to assemble, were allowed to speak up. We have a voice. I was asked to speak about the role of justice in, in our work, in our community, in your fellowship. And I look out here and I say, hey, any one of you could speak to this. Why am I doing this? There are a lot of people here that work for justice. And so I may ask you to help me out on parts of this because I know you've got a lot of expertise. I like this description of justice work. Justice work is aimed at the societal, cultural, and political transformation necessary to create environments that ensure human rights are supportive of all people, aim to eliminate inequalities and inequities, and promote an inclusiveness of diversity. That's pretty complete, isn't it? We've got a lot of work to do. So why do we, as individuals, why do we get involved in justice work? There's different reasons for different people, aren't there? Some people get involved because it affects them personally. We've seen a lot of women get involved in the Me Too movement because finally they feel like they have a voice. Some of us have uh, parents who modeled this behavior for us. Any of you have parents who were a justice workers in one way or another? Yeah, so a few of you grew up with that as a model of how you're supposed to be. Others feel that we can help ourselves and our family and our community by working on community change, that we will all be better off if things change within our community or our society. Those of you in this room perhaps work on justice because of the seven principles of Unitarian Universalism. They are the strong values and the moral teachings that this group bases their uh, activity on their gatherings, and you read the readings in the back of your hymnal, which are full of wonderful historical readings that uh, speak to justice very beautifully. I was reading those this week, and I had just as much fun then looking up who some of the authors were um, that wrote that, uh, those very significant words. And sometimes we get involved with uh, justice work because of our personalities. Now here's where if we were at a retreat or a workshop, I would have you all stand up, I would have you get in a line, a line from one to a hundred, on how much you think of yourself as a, um, an activist, a, a social activist for justice. 
And some of you meet down here in the hundreds. Do we have any hundreds? Okay, we've got Patricia Faye. Of course she's a hundred. Okay, we know that. All right. Do we have anybody down here at one or two on social activism? Somewhere you're in the middle. Can you think of what your number is? Call out a few numbers. 20. 20. 40. 40. 60. 60. 30, 37. 37. <laughs> and that's only on a Monday, right? Okay, okay. Okay. So we're all somewhere on the continuum. And some people are just born activists. Whatever it is in their personality, their makeup, they're born activists. Now, I married someone who said the other day, and I was shocked. It's the first time I heard him say this. He says, I don't have an activist bone in my body. Hmm. I've been working on that for 20 years now. <laughs> he doesn't have an activist bone in his body. And I'm probably like a 80, maybe. Maybe a 75. I'm an introvert, so that doesn't let me get clear to 100. So why do we come to do this work? Now, I was the fourth child of five, and I was rather shy, rather reserved. I uh, was a good kid in school. I didn't do too much to cause trouble. We didn't talk politics in our home. I had Republican parents, and I'm told that after the 1960 election, when I was about six and a half, that I proclaimed that my friend Ricky, who lived next door, it was his president that got elected, and that wasn't my president. But later on, in my uh, middle school and high school years, um, I, I was in high school between the late 60s and early, early 70s. I was involved in church youth groups, and I, I witnessed ministers who were involved, and faith leaders who were involved in civil rights work, in, in peace work, and seeing that as uh, genuinely, authentically a part of, of their faith. And I think that's when I really became very much aware that part of who I am and part of my rootedness in, in my own faith leads me to be a person who works for justice. But then I went to school, I got married, I had three kids and a full-time job. I didn't have time to do any justice work. Are any of you there? Where it's a little hard? Yeah, yeah. It's hard. And so I would say throughout my uh, young adulthood, we've got a chalice that we're pretending is lit. Okay. Um, throughout my young and middle adulthood, I kept myself informed on the issues. But I just didn't have the resources to, to take the next steps. It was not until I was uh, almost 50 that I started to get more involved. And so many of the people in this community know me as being involved in a bunch of these things, but it's really only been in this, this uh, segment of my life. I started kind of quietly at the United Methodist Church here doing a program called God Wrestling that uh, refers to the, the um, Hebrew Bible story about Jacob wrestling with God. And uh, we had uh, very provocative speakers who came and talked and, 
and it was sort of an educational model for justice work. And I could go into that kind of easily because I was sort of used to an educational model. That wasn't too scary. That led to our interfaith advocates for peace with justice that started in 2004. And um, I think uh, Phil was, Phil Newman was involved as the first uh, representative from the uh, UU fellowship here then. Uh, some of you remember the Peace Walks. Have any of you been on the Peace Walks over the years? I think we had 11 of them. Those started in 2005. And in 2011, I got through the uh, Interfaith Advocates for Peace with Justice. I got involved in immigration issues. And that started my work that eventually led to being involved with Unidos Bridging Community. I didn't go on my first march until January of 2003. I think probably some of you were on that march. That was the one where we were protesting the Iraq war and wondering whether that was the best way to solve our problems in Iraq. So this hasn't been part of who, I, who I've been from day one and what I've done from day one. And I say that because I want to encourage people who, who where justice work has seemed difficult or uh, scary that, that one can start at any time and one can do little bits and pieces of it. So justice work is different than charitable work. Both are hugely important. But have you thought about the differences in those before? Maybe you've talked about them here in your fellowship. Charitable work is that work where we um, try to reach an immediate need that people are facing. We help out at a soup kitchen. We send funding for um, hurricane relief. We help to build a house for someone who doesn't have a house. Those are charitable, that's charitable work. That's a huge part of what we do as people who care. It's immediate. We see a result. And we, we go on to the next time we might want to do that sort of uh, charitable work, or sometimes we have a charitable work that we do in an ongoing way. Justice work takes that from a little different perspective. Justice work is when, what I say, is when we look upstream. We, we say, why are people hungry? Why can't people get homes to live in? Why are hurricanes happening? And we look at the causes of what I call these social sins and say, what can we do about that? And so justice work is a little different. It's needed too, we need both. But it's, what is the reason for this inequity? Why is it that the poor and people of color are the most likely to 
have problems with their homes in a hurricane. What can we do about that? Does that make sense about those, those distinctions there and how is, as individuals and as a community we figure out how we can do both? This last uh, spring, uh, after six years of being the executive director of Unidos Bridging Community, we were very fortunate to have raised the funding to be able to hire our first employed full-time executive director, a young woman named Miriam Corona, and she is now the executive director. It's allowed me to step back to do more specific volunteer work within Unidos Bridging Community that I've been excited about doing. It's also given me time to think and reflect about the last six or seven years and what, what, uh, what happened uh, to create Unidos Bridging Community as an as a advocacy organization, what needs to be done, what worked, what didn't work, all those kinds of things. But in thinking about those things, as well as thinking about uh, what I was going to bring up today, are, it, a very simple um, idea came to me, and I thought, oh, yeah, of course. But that is that one of the differences between charitable work or uh, charitable um, activity and justice work is that justice work requires community. You can't do it alone. I, in my introverted way, with my cup of coffee, can write a check and put it in the mail. Some of us still have stamps at home. And we can send it off, and it'll get to somewhere. Um, and I can do that all by myself. I, I signed up, I, I tend to like to support the Heifer International Project, which buys animals for families across. Now, I would say that's a little bit charitable giving and a little bit justice, because these families are to help them start, uh, start uh, their own home economy. But I must say that I was uh, particularly excited about supporting that uh, this year when they came out with, with a, a tote bag that was a goat tote. It's the most, it's the cutest little tote bag with a goat on it of all colors, and many of you know that I like goats. And so I could not only support them, but I could get the tote, the goat tote. It just arrived um, a couple of days ago. I'm so excited, and Ron just kind of looked at me. <laughs> So a charitable donation, as important as it is, is quite what we would call transactional. You can give something, sometimes you get a, tote, a goat tote, sometimes you get a sense of accomplishment and someone else gets an opportunity. But in justice work, we're always we're trying to change a community or change a society or change a, uh, the politics and government. And that requires something that's a lot more interactional, doesn't it? 
because trans that, that ends up being a transformational interaction rather than a transactional interaction in the terms people use today. And transformational interactions are more extensive, take longer, are harder. When we work for justice, we work with interactions with, with other institutions, with government agencies, other segments of the population, and it adds a whole different dimension. Um, Unidos has, over the years, been working a lot with the police department here at McMinnville. Now, working with the police department is a little different than coming and giving a talk at the UU Fellowship. <laughs> you noticed. And, <laughs> I noticed that. And it, it, uh, was, it worked out fine. We're still working on it. But it's forcing ourselves to get out of our comfort zone, to be talking to folks that may have a different worldview than we do. We talk with our local um, government officials. We sometimes argue with them. But we're always having to maintain those relationships. I end up having to leave very quickly um, after the service because we just got a request to come to Baker Creek Community Church to talk a little bit about Measure 105. Now that's really something when we get a call to come and talk about a political measure in a church that's sort of on the other end of the continuum <coughs> than you use. So I have to do that. But that kind of communication becomes so important. And even in working with a population that is of a different ethnicity, that the majority population takes a lot of hard work. It's, it's, it, uh, it took us probably three years before we could begin to trust each other as an organization. That's a lot of kind of waiting it out. That's a lot of conversation. So justice work is difficult for all communities. And when you think about it with the fellowship here or in other, in other organizations that you're a part of, what do you think, why is it that justice work is so difficult? Throw like out an idea. Of, seems like there's a lot of emotion attached to it. Yeah, a lot of emotion. People have strong feelings about it. And what, why, why is that so difficult? Because people get angry, and yeah. I don't want to make anybody upset. Yes, <laughs> people get angry, and they may get angry at me. And I like people to like me. And they don't listen when they get angry. And when people get angry, they don't listen, and you feel like you're, you're just talking to a brick wall, right? Yeah. What other reasons is it hard work? The, the, the change is slow and coming often, and you don't see it. Yes. It's not like giving a check to somebody and feeling they're going to help the hurricane. People. Yes, yes. The change is slow and incremental, and we don't get that immediate, I feel good about this uh, feedback, do we? You have so, to be willing to go and listen and expect the possibility that you might change. Oh, my not goodness. Not totally, but... That's oh my goodness, we might have to go and listen and be open to the possibility that it may be me that needs to change. 
That's a hard one. Some of us, sometimes I'd rather just talk. Yeah? <laughs> it can also be dangerous if you're fighting against people who have a lot of power for change and it is in their interest to keep things as they are and then you're blacklisted. Yes. And I know that personally from what happened during the McCarthy era and how my family had to adjust to uh, staying safe. Yes. Um, during that time. Yes, so there are definitely times, even in the United States of America, where speaking truth to power can be dangerous. And it can be dangerous in a number of ways, can't it? It can be dangerous to you physically. It can be dangerous for your occupation. It can be dangerous for your family, your economics. Yeah, there was another one over here somewhere. Justice work is difficult because often you're trying to change something that's uh, been institutionalized. It's the way it's always been, and you're fighting against the status quo that's existed for decades or possibly centuries. Yes, yes. Uh, justice work is hard because it's so enmeshed and ingrained into our institutional bodies and into our systems. And we don't even recognize it a lot of times. And it really takes that listening before we start saying, oh, gee, maybe this is something that's there. And I haven't even thought of that because I may be of the, the dominant section of my sector of, my, of the population. And, and it's always seemed just normal to me. Yeah. Um, related to how slow it can be. Sometimes you see things go backward. After all this hard work, you see things take a step back and you get discouraged. Oh my gosh, don't we all feel that? We get dis discouraged. It may be two steps forward, but boy, that one step back hurts a lot. Yes. Sometimes uh, it creates barriers between you and family or you and friends who may be basically the same political direction you are but they think you're a radical, you're sort of crazy because you're out there carrying a sign. Yes, I, uh, there's two parts of that, I think. It creates distance between you and your family and friends. One, because you may completely disagree. But two, because why are you out there carrying a sign? That's embarrassing. Don't you know that Oregonians are supposed to be nice? <laughs> Sometimes fighting for justice is fighting for people that don't agree, like maybe they're fighting for Muslim justice or fighting for a different religion or something that is hard to fight for sometimes as far as people have perceptions. Yes, sometimes what you're fighting for is something that raises a lot of disagreement, of <coughs> criticism, sometimes even what you're fighting for, the, the people that you're fighting for, they don't even agree on what, what they want. Or fear, because like right now immigration. And the fears. Right. Don't be afraid about this thing you're afraid of. Right, there's a lot of fear inherent in justice work, and you're trying to convince people to live without fear. That's a crazy notion, isn't it? It takes a lot of work to break down the walls built by 
generations of institutional abuse, and that has to be done before you can even engage with the population. Lots of work to break it down before you can even do the work. You, I've got a great idea. I'm going to go out there and do that uh, social justice work that needs to be done. I go there and talk to the group and they say, who are you? What do you think you as an old white lady can do? And so it takes that ability to be rejected and to, again, have to listen time and time and time again. And to not take it personally. And to try to not take it personally. And when you start finding yourself taking it personally, work with other people to get through that somehow. Yeah. Wow, why does anybody do this? <laughs> so let's see if we got them all that I put down here. Yeah, yeah, hard emotional work, hard mental work. Oh, that one, I just wanted to make the point that usually the things we're trying to uh, promote justice around are complicated. They're not just, this is the right way, this is the wrong way. There's all sorts of uh, complications and, and uh, aspects that you have to learn. Immigration is one of those. And, and boy, in the last six years, I've learned more than I ever thought I would need to um, learn about the immigration system and people. But it takes that constant study and keeping up on it. In this case, reading a lot of legalese and trying to understand it. Yeah. Hard mental work can create conflict with people we know. People may think we're crazy, causes discomfort takes a long time. We have to commit to more than a Sunday morning, don't we? Risk safety and security. We won't see the results. I think the prime example of that one is the abolitionists who worked for decades and decades before, before um, the abolition of slavery, slavery occurred, and many of them were, had already passed away by then. Um. Something that was brought to my attention recently, I did the anti-racial, anti-bias training for work, and um, a lot of us who were gone, went to school in the 80s and 90s were um, kind of taught, indoctrinated in elementary school that we are, you know, we don't see race, and you know, by um, having the multicultural a celebration in the AV room once a year. We are multicultural and we are doing our part. And, um, uh, you know, we're so basically like, but, you know, we aren't supposed to see race. We aren't supposed to see the culture. Like, we're all one. We're sort of all in this 80s and 90s taught to, this is how we're supposed to think, you know? And it's. And then suddenly we were taught in the 80s and 90s that we're supposed to think that everybody's completely the same and there's, and there's no differences and we don't see race. And then suddenly we were faced with, yes, there are differences. Race is there as a societal construct, but it's still there. And then, the, you know, they're teaching us all this when we're young, but, you know, the, the basic foundation of, of um, unequal was not being also uh, 
equalized. So I fully agree. In the last 10 years, we have had to learn about the concept of equity. That's much different than equality. Do you guys know about that one? Equity, uh, equality is treating everyone the same. Equity is giving everyone what they need. It may not be equal, but it's what they need because of the past history of what's happened. That relates to something I was thinking about, that you have, you have comp competing groups or a movement like the slavery movement that it turned into an issue also about women and, 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 and the women's movement uh, and the work for suffrage was related to the temperance movement, but people can sort of have the same kinds of things maybe in their heart, but they're in these different factions that sometimes you feel forced to yes. choose between one or yes. the other. Yes, and it, and it hurts us women to think about Susan B. Anthony who says, I'm not gonna support amend, uh, Amendment 14 that gives black men the right to vote. I'm not, gonna, I'm not going to say it's okay for black men before it's okay for women. And she came out very forcefully against the 14th Amendment, which makes us kind of crazy thinking about it. But it's because she had been working all her life in her silo, if you will, um, on women's suffrage. And there was the temperance movement and, and, and uh, the right to vote for others. And that brings another word to this century of social uh, justice movement, and that's called the intersectionality. That we have to learn that all these movements uh, work together and have to work together to, to be able to um, raise the freedom, the rights for everybody. So when we do our work, I'm part of a larger group in Oregon called One Oregon that's based around immigration work, but who's at the table? Basic Rights Oregon, environmental groups, um, physicians for social responsibility, because we are learning that we all have to work for each other or none of us are elevated in our, in our rights and, and justice doesn't happen because we otherwise end up fighting with each other. Yeah. yeah. In the Unidos work, there were certainly successes and certainly failures. We, uh, early on, after Unidos got started, we were fortunate in winning the battle for tuition equity for uh, immigrant students who didn't have uh, documents. They were being charged, even if they had gone to school all their life in Oregon, they were being charged out-of-country tuition to go to college. Finally, that changed, and they're able to go to college with, uh, with the tuition of a state resident, as they have been, and they had graduated from a state college. That was a victory, it felt really good. Soon following that was a horrendous, horrible, discouraging loss for us, and that was about the driver's card for people that don't have uh, licenses because they don't have documents. We thought we had won that. We did win it in the legislature. But then it came up in a petition for the people, and the Oregon, the population of Oregon turned it down. 
And that was one of the most discouraging parts of all of this, in part because it discouraged the Latino community so badly. And it took a long time to come back and say, hey, we've got to keep working on this. Justice work is a cornerstone of UU tradition, isn't it? It's part of our Judeo-Christian history. You go back and look at the, the Hebrew scripture and those prophets were always after their, their governmental leaders for neglecting the, the poor and, and oppressing women and widows and children and telling them you better shape up or something bad's going to happen. Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 30 verse 8 Speak up for those who have no voice, for the rights of all who are destitute. It's really built in to both Hebrew scripture and the Christian New Testament. Love your neighbor as yourself, which is also part of the Hebrew scripture. If we really look, if we take away the theological understandings of uh, scripture for a moment and look at scripture through a justice lens. It's just loaded with justice work and justice um, and the importance of justice. And, and you can really see scripture as, as a um, guide in some ways of how to live in community. Now we may not agree that these certain ways are are what we would choose nowadays, um, but for them in their time, what they chose were these ways that you're supposed to be able to live in community and speak out to the power that's oppressing as well. And as, as I mentioned before, the work of justice is woven through all the seven principles. Now, I don't know if you've used this uh, curriculum before or not, but uh, the UU website has an incredible curriculum called Resistance and Transformation. Have you used that here at all before? It is a 16-session um, uh, class that is, it's an adult program for UU that's on social justice history, but also brings it to the present as well. But it's really looking at social justice history in, in the UU tradition. It's outstanding. It's really been, it's been put together very, very well. So if there's a group that wants to take a uh, more extensive look at that, I would recommend it. Resistance and Transformation. UUs were involved in the abolitionist movement, the peace movement, labor laws, women's suffrage, religious freedom. And so what does a fellowship, what does a church do in thinking about what steps they can take in regards to justice? I've worked with um, a couple of different church communities in talking about this, and and I think one of the most important things is to look at what you're doing and say, what we're doing now, whatever it is, 
and the, the community work that you do, is this charitable work and or is this justice work? Most churches, most uh, faith communities do about 95% charitable work and maybe about 5% justice work. What I like to encourage uh, congregations and fellowships to do is to survey that and then adjust a little bit. Maybe push that to 10% justice work. Maybe push that to the next year 15%. We do that often in our own budgeting. When Ron and I figure out what our charitable donations are going to be for the year, we have a little chart. Some of it's charitable giving. Some of it's supporting organizations that are doing the on-the-street justice work. And balancing that, and, and there's other kinds of charitable donations as well, of course, but kind of thinking, are we doing some of that uh, giving toward the long haul? We, we in America like quick results. And so it's much easier, as we say, to, to give the, the, the quick, where we can get the quick results. But also, what, what's, thinking about our kids and our grandkids, what do we have to do for the long haul? I also think it's important that, in addition to all the justice work that we as individuals from this group may be doing in the community, what can we do as a family here? What can we do as a community here? Can we start with an issue that is pretty not so controversial that people would tend to agree upon? How, how can we get involved in that? How can we make a first step? Now, I think it's important um, in, in thinking about justice work that we don't all have to be on the front lines. Madeline, we don't all have to be the one carrying that sign, although some of us need to do that. But other people can be the one that are writing the letters to the editor, that are contacting our legislators, that are providing the food for the people who are on the front line. There's lots of different roles that one can uh, play in justice work and, and, uh, and still be moving it along gradually. Encouraging participation in voting. Midterms are a great idea, a great, great time to do that. How can we get people to vote? And then looking for other opportunities to speak out. I handed out a flyer there on Measure 105. How many of you have known about 105, Measure 105? Wow, you are exceptional. <laughs> As people have been canvassing and making phone calls this uh, last couple of weeks, they're finding that most of our population does not know about Measure 105. Measure 105 is extremely important for our immigrant communities. The, the intent of Measure 105 is to rescind, to remove the uh, law that has been in place for 31 years now in the Oregon Revised Statutes that says that we're not permitted to use state or local resources, personnel, monies to do the work of federal uh, law enforcement, namely ICE. We've had that law in the Oregon law for 31 years. 
And the people that are supporting Measure 105 are saying, we want to remove this law because we don't think it's right. We want local law enforcement to be involved. Okay? And we're encouraging you to know about on this because we think that breaks up families. We think that it hurts the relationship between the community and law enforcement. We think that it's way too expensive and we have enough, uh, and we need to spend all the money we can on, on catching the criminals. And it's important to let people know that. It's important to let people know that the law we have in place does not change what police do with criminals. You can still arrest a criminal if they don't have documents, but you can't go out and do the profiling to try to find the people who are here and their only violation has been a violation against immigration law. So read the handout and I would suggest one work of justice that you can do this week is to send a message, Facebook, email, in person, to five people who you think might not understand this measure. Five people. If we can get five people to think about this in an intelligent way and vote, that, that's, a, that's a big step. You know, I, I got up this morning, turned on my computer to kind of finalize my words, and you know how your computer tells you what you have to do today? And it says, you, you, talk, all day. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know who brought lunch, but you know. <laughs> so, um, but, but I just really have one more little uh, bit of point to make here. Um, and that is, how do we stay in justice work for the long haul? Um, it does discourage us. It does wear us out. We do have setbacks. And I think there's several keys on this. One, we've always got to remember what we're doing this for. Justice work is not about me. Justice work is for our community, it's for our nation, it's for an oppressed population or a marginalized community. And we've got to keep that in mind. And then I think that real, realism about, the, and about our expectations about when it's going to be all solved. I like this quote. It begins with the idea that our actions may not have an impact on the world today, tomorrow, or any time in the near future. What we do in the present moment, while extremely important, might not have its intended effect until decades later. And we can't measure by those short-term outcomes. You know how people said after the Occupy movement, well, what did they accomplish? They didn't accomplish anything. Maybe not in that short, if you look at the short-term outcome. But if you look at that step and that step and that step and over time, we can cause a ripple effect and make a difference. We know that. We have, we have lots of examples of that. But it does take that realization that this is an ongoing activity. I think another key is working in community. Again, we're not able to do it ourselves. It doesn't happen by ourselves, but also to use the community. We need each other to, to uh, keep 
nurture ourselves, to be able to step back when we're exhausted, let somebody else step up and then change again. The community is important. For me, it's really important to maintain the integrity of what I'm doing. It's real easy right now to get angry, to get cynical, to start into name calling, to do all these things that, that are not standing on the side of love, right? And we have to, even though it's okay to get angry, what we have to work for needs to be constantly that positive, good thing that we're working for. Are we building community or are we tearing it down? If an action we're doing really disrupts or tears down, not disrupts, tears down community, then maybe there's a better way to go about it. Thank you all, and you are very much a part of that two and two and 50 that make a million. We do have that strength in numbers, and we have a wonderful community around us that is searching for justice as well. So be it, I'm in.